For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Grainger.com, or just stop by. Granger For the ones who get it done. Hello everyone, welcome to F1 Nation. I'm Tom Clarkson. And I'm still Damon Hill. You may have noticed already, people, that there is no Natalie Pinkham with us this week. And that's how we're rolling this year. Sometimes it's going to be all three of us, sometimes it's Damon and me, and sometimes it's going to be Nat and me. And today, you've got Damon and me. How are you doing? How have you been for the past seven days? Yeah, I've been good. I've been, I mean, exciting, isn't it? We've been let out of our houses. I actually got some golf in and realised I think I ought to give up golf. Um, so that's <laughs> immediately down to earth again. <laughs> How much do the team stop for Easter? Do you think they were all in on Easter Day or Bank Holiday Monday, Good Friday? How do you remember it, DH? Were people working throughout well this is going back a bit to the days before they had any kind of summer break or any kind of limits on anything so they went testing relentlessly so i can remember going doing monaco which was uh, like a five-day event almost because you you qualify on the thursday to start with and then it drags over and by the time you get back from monaco you're exhausted and then tuesday you go testing they kept the pressure on we went testing all throughout the winter so we actually physically had to get to the track we went in although we didn't do that many races we did a whole lot of testing. So there's a lot of travel. Now they have these limits and they're not allowed to do so much. And they're limited to the amount of uh, testing they can do as well. So the physical work they can do is limited. But that doesn't stop them thinking, going through the regulations, going through their data. They'll have reams and reams of data now having done a race and a test. And they'll all be the little uh, nerds will be going through all the numbers and, uh, and, and, and sort of trying to get their slide rules out and work out uh, what the hell they're going to do. I remember going to my first Easter Day race, and I think it was Silverstone 2000. Do you remember that race where it was Bernie moved the race to April? I don't know why. And it rained and the car parks were covered in mud. It was that weekend. Anyway, the race was on Easter Day and my then girlfriend, now wife. <laughs> she still married you yeah, after that. Yeah. She put an Easter egg in my in my suitcase. And I remember waking up on Easter Day, thinking, oh, I'm finding this Easter egg. And it was all lovely. And going into the track. And the first person I saw was someone at Ferrari. And I said, oh, happy Easter. And he looked at me and went, oh, is it? Oh, right. Yeah, yeah. And you, mate. And I just thought there in a nutshell is Formula One. It doesn't stop for anything. And I just sort of took my Easter egg to the corner of the press room, ate it very quickly and got on with my day. Well, that's an image to conjure with, isn't it? Tom huddled in a freezing cold <laughs> press centre, munching on, an, on a chocolate egg. <laughs> But of course, the dust has been settling after the first race. So we've been through all of the comments that people have made and a little bit of reflection on how this season's going to pan out. What have we got here? We've got a pretty closely fought challenge between Mercedes and Red Bull. And it seems like Mercedes feel like they're slightly on the back foot. Yeah, It's been quite revealing. I think that when Lewis said after the race, guys, you know, uh, congratulations, great, great effort. We haven't got the best car, sort of implying that 
he's won with a less than good car. Uh, and I don't, I don't think that actually can be denied. I think even Mercedes himself, Shovlin has said as much to you, hasn't he, Tom, that they have looked at their data and they can't see any advantage that the Mercedes team have currently. Well, Damon, shall we stop you right there and play that little bit of audio now? Because I think it's fascinating. So Andrew Shovelin is the, the chief trackside engineer at Mercedes. And I caught up with him just after the race in Bahrain. This is the, the key bit that he came out with. We don't really have any strengths relative to them, is what I would say. And we've had a lot of years where we've been able to rely on straight line speed or high speed cornering or interconnected corners. But you look at it here and we weren't taking any time out of them anywhere. There were a couple of corners they really took chunks out of us in qualifying the high speed, also turn nine ten. They were very strong there. And that's really the main thing is you think qualifying we just bang on their pace in the best, you know, in our best corners and they're, they're quicker in the others. So you need a faster car, simple as that. And how easy is it to <clears throat> develop this car, given what's going on back at the factory with 2022? I mean, where's the focus? Well, I mean, ordinarily, and I guess the key thing with this season is it's different. Normally, you would look to the wind tunnel to try and just put on a bit of downforce over the course of the year. You'd also look at the power unit, try and find a bit of power. But both of those are very restricted by regulation now. So we have very little time in the wind tunnel. Dyno is also heavily restricted. You can't develop the engine for performance this year. So we're having to look at more subtle areas to do with drivability, characteristics, and I think also arriving at the circuit with the car well-sorted, well-balanced, doing your homework, knowing how long the tyres will run. I think this season, this championship, is actually going to come down to the fine margins, I think, more than normal. I don't see us really being able to develop to a point where we, we could get clear ahead and hopefully Red Bull won't develop to a point where they're clear ahead. Well I think he's admitting it isn't he he's admitting that we've got a very very tight competition between uh, two teams who are have got their car sorted and, and Red Bull have made a leap forward so they've caught up with Mercedes it may be that Mercedes have suffered more than Red Bull with this new regulation about the floor being cut away and um, being a, a low rake car this conversation going on about the the different philosophies of the attitude of the car with the rake it does have an enormous influence we also heard aston martin complaining who aston martin are very much in the same camp as mercedes with regard to their design philosophy they have been complaining otmar Zuffnau has just been has been saying effectively that the regulations have harmed them more than the high rate cars but uh, he's he seems to be unhappy about the way it's been gone about but uh, Mercedes aren't quite so vocal but definitely they're going to have a fight on their hands what he seemed to be saying between the lines was it's fine margins so it's going to be down to tactics it's going to be down to how well prepared they are at a race meeting it's going to come down to the driver delivering and the race team getting their strategy right and I think that's just a fantastic recipe for motor racing. Couldn't agree more. It's down to the guys in the garage. It's not the army of people back in Brackley so much. It's going to be how you operate the car trackside. And that is kind of old school Formula One. It's a point I made last week as well, but it is the guys who, who deliver on the day, which Mercedes did in Bahrain, didn't they? But does this battle between Red Bull and Mercedes remind you, Damon, of the early to mid-90s, yourselves, Williams and Benetton 
going at it, hammer and tongs, different design philosophies, of course, the, the Benetton with the high nose, Williams, the Adrian Newey Williams with the low nose. Was that about optimising what you had on the day? Absolutely. I think it was about whether or not you're a, a race team. I, I often think of teams in as having two divisions, the engineering side, and some people can be brilliant engineers and come up with some great cars. But when they get to the racetrack, they seem to chip over themselves or they're, or they're not as prepared as other teams who are opportunists. And I think that Benetton were fantastic opportunists race team they had a slightly different design philosophy in their aero package but you know that car that michael schumacher drove the benetton i don't think was a particularly good car because other drivers who drove it other than michael people like gerhard berger said it was almost undrivable and he couldn't believe that michael could do it so it may not have been the best car but the competition was quite close there wasn't a huge difference we, we ended up with the both the same engines Renault engines uh, eventually but it was good for entertainment it was good for sport because you had two teams cutting their cloth slightly differently and applying their advantages if they had any and the advantages never were that were that great so it was a very closely fought championship and when you're fighting a world championship battle how different is it for the driver when you're competing against a guy in your own team versus a guy in another team. So let's talk about you and Michael Schumacher, him at Benetton, you at Williams versus you against Jacques Villeneuve in 96 in the same team. Different way of going about it? Well, if you study history, Tom, which I know you're a keen student of uh, all sorts of intellectual pursuits, but uh, you know, if you study history, they always say, don't they, if you want to focus the mind of a country, you know, have a foreign kind of battle. So uh, any, any kind of external threat unites a team. So for years now, uh, we've had Mercedes fighting amongst themselves between drivers for the title and occasional incursions from people like Red Bull or Ferrari. But now they have an external threat. So I think that the, you'll see that teamwork, that, that solidifying behind Lewis, their main campaigner. They know that Lewis is their strongest card in their pack. I think he demonstrated that magnificently in Bahrain. And I know for a fact that Red Bull was scratching their heads after Bahrain because they knew that Lewis had done something slightly magical by staying ahead of their car, which they felt was slightly better. And we just heard uh, Andrew Shovlin saying it is actually better. But what it means is, is that these two teams are going to put their best man forward and it's going to be, you know, an arrowhead type attack between those two teams. So you wouldn't want to be Valtteri Bottas or Sergio Perez for all the tea in China right now? I think they're going to have to play a supporting role. I, I, but it does, you know, it is more difficult. I mean, I, I think if you've got two guys within a team and you've got an external threat, which is what happened with me and uh, in the Williams team, I had David Coulthard as well, who could also win races. So I had David to fight as well as Goliath. That's very good. <laughs> Michael Schumacher. <laughs> but um, no, so, you know, you can go wrong if you're not careful. And of course, let's not forget that, that, that Red Bull have... What's the sliding scale, Damon, in wind tunnel time? They'll have two and a half percent more wind tunnel time this year than Mercedes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Do you want to explain, Tom? I mean, that, that is it's to do with these regulations that disadvantage the, the advantaged. The people who came out on top get less bite of, a, of the wind tunnel cherry, don't they, as it goes down the... And the people right at the back get loads of wind tunnel time or a bit more. Yeah. That extra wind tunnel time that Red Bull are going to get over Mercedes, do they spend that time focusing on 2021 or do they put it towards 2022? I'd love to see them focus on 2021. I think if you have a, a shout at the championship, you have to go for it. Who knows how next year is going to pan out? You can't say, oh, well, it's been good this year. We're challenging Mercedes, but let's put all our eggs 
in the 2022 basket because you don't know. You have to deal with what's in front of you. And I'm always reminded of what Robert Kubitzer said mid-2008. He just won the Canadian Grand Prix. He felt he had a car worthy of challenging the championship. And BMW just took all of their effort out of 2008. They'd achieved what they'd wanted to do that year, which was win a race, focused on 2009. And of course, their curse system wasn't as good as other people's and it didn't work out for them. And then they pulled out of Formula One. So I really hope that Red Bull go for it this year. Throw the kitchen sink at it. You're absolutely right, Tom. You know, it depends how big your army is or how how many armies you've got because you need to fight on two fronts. You've got now and you've got next year. And they're going to have to get cracking next year with the massive regulation changes uh, if they want to keep on top. So it's a tough battle to deploy your resources within a team. Let's bring in our very special guest now. He's a veteran of 107 Grand Prix from 1999 to 2012, but I prefer to call him our Spanish correspondent. It is Pedro de la Rosa with us. Pedro, hi. Hello, Tom. Hello, Damon. How are you doing? Very good to see you again, Pedro. When did you guys last see each other? I think I saw Damon uh, maybe in the uh, on a Grand Grand Prix last year, uh, well, two years ago uh, in uh, maybe it was the British Grand Prix, I, I guess, or no, Monza. I think it was in fact. But I've known Damon for a long time, maybe longer than he he knows or he expects, because <laughs> I I remember when I was uh, the reserve driver at uh, Jordan. And him and, uh, and and Ralph Schumacher were the, the race drivers. Crikey, that's 1998. Yes. So he was really, really a nice uh, driver to work for and always very re- respectful of my work. So there's, there's some things that you never forget, you know, and especially when you are starting. So thank you, Damon. Damon and I have just been discussing what we think is turning into a two-horse race, Red Bull Mercedes, Max against Lewis. Is that how you see it going forward? Yeah, it looks like pretty much like that. And it's uh, fantastic news, actually, that we have four cars that can win races every every Sunday rather than only, well, two, maybe one. You know, so I think that we are all very happy about that. I, I don't see anyone else getting involved, but uh, already four cars is uh, um, well, a 100% improvement from last year. Is it four cars or is it actually only two cars? Will you see Lewis prioritised ahead of Valtteri and, and Max prioritized ahead of Checo? Well, I, ho- I hope they are not prioritized. I mean, I ac- actually la- would love to see fights and uh, drivers not being on the first few races already given team orders, which would be very, very bad for the sport. But uh, no, I, I think that obviously there will be jo- uh, Josh Verstappen, yeah, Josh, my... my... <laughs> Slip of the tongue. <laughs> Max and... <laughs> and we will be the main contenders but there will be always the odd races where Checo and Valtteri will get involved so it, it's it's good I mean it's uh, exciting no we are all much more motivated for this season than uh, than previous ones from the hybrid era you know Lewis Hamilton very well you work with him at McLaren do you see any signs admittedly there weren't many in Bahrain that he's slowing down or do you still speak to him? Has he said anything to you recently that makes you think, oh, this might be his last year, hence the, the one-year deal? Or? I don't speak with Luis uh, oftenly. I mean, uh, not as, as previously, but I, I think that any driver, 
as long as you are feel competitive, your team is competitive, and you wake up every Sunday being able to win a Grand Prix, you you never uh, give up. You know, I mean, you will keep going until suddenly you realize that you've lost speed or that the team is not capable, and you will need three more years to regain the the, the competitivity. So. I can see Luis for a long time in the sport still, you know, because he's so, so fast still. I enjoyed um, listening to your podcast, your interview with Tom, and you talked about the first time that you saw Lewis joining the car and it, when you were at McLaren and you could t- actually compare the data and uh, you saw how quick he was. Can you explain a little bit about that experience? Yeah, I mean, Luis is uh, is amazing. I mean, uh, since the day one he jumped into the Formula One car, the McLaren, I he was already special. You know, I mean, you can see straight away it took him like a couple of runs at Silverstone to get up to speed, competitive lap times. He has some windows where he's unbeatable when the, the, the compounds are very hard, like in the winter testing and they don't switch on to temperature. He's at his best because every one of us always struggle to get the Michelins, for example, to a consistent tire operating window. And he was just mashing everyone, everyone, just because he loves to slide the car. And his strength basically is when the tires degrade, when the tires drop down, he carries a lot of speed into the corners. So he's not so dependent on the rear tires to exit the corners with a lot of traction. So his time advantage comes on entry. So therefore, in the race, people say, ah, he's very quick over one lap. Yeah, of course he is. But actually, his strength is not over one lap. I think his strength is on the race distance where he kills uh, Valtteri or any of his teammates basically on the entry speed. Pedro, you, you could have been easily as quick as Lewis Hamilton if you'd come and lived in our country and carted during the winter when it's dark and freezing cold and wet and you've only got slicks on. But I think that's I think that's probably you know, a disadvantage coming from a sunny country. Eamon, <laughs> I was as quick as Lewis, sorry. Yeah, yeah, he he yeah. hasn't done a race lap faster than you around Bahrain because we are Damon we're still looking and talking to the lap record holder in Bahrain we're so blessed to have Pedro here the fastest man around Bahrain (laughs) there's always something to feel proud about and I feel extremely proud about that lap uh, being fastest uh, 16 years later I still hold the lap record so I'm, I'm very happy about that I still don't know how I managed to do that, that lap record, and uh, but obviously there were some contributors. I've been thinking about that, and I think that the fact that we were racing without uh, DRS, but uh, the cars were extremely light back then, and that was the key, you know, where, where actually those cars were faster. They were the last V10s, nine, over 900 horsepower, off power every lap of the race, not, not just a few laps when you charge the batteries. And uh, with no DRS, but still extremely light, uh, I think that was uh, the main differentiator. Was that um, the other make of tyres, the, the French one? Was it? Uh, yes. Yeah. Back then, we raced with, there was the tyre the, the war, Bridgestone, Michelin, and it was fantastic as well that we had one only set of tyres to race throughout the race. So I think that was incredible that with a grooved set of tyres, you actually managed to pull, you know, a fastest lap at the end of the race. So it was incredible those tires were amazing imagine what time you could have done if you'd had proper slicks pedro 
instead of those groove things. I hated those tires. They were goo. They're just horrible things. But you were, Damon, you were pretty good with them, huh? Um, uh, okay. I preferred it. I preferred proper groove tires when it was raining. Then they were okay. Yes. I mean, uh, yeah, of course. Uh, I mean, imagine, imagine when, uh, yeah, if, if Michelin or Bridgestone would have uh, gone into a tire war with, uh, with slick tires, how quick we would have been. Amazing. But I, honestly, looking back, those were really one of the best years in Formula One because we were very quick throughout the race and you didn't have to do any tire management or uh, charge batteries and attack for some laps. And then, uh, you know, it was just straight on lap after lap because the tires were very, very resistant and you didn't have to manage the engine at all. You could just push. As our Spanish correspondent, can we just talk about two Spanish drivers. Fernando Alonso is back on the horse uh, after two years out. He qualified ninth in Bahrain. What did you make of his comeback? And have, have you had a chat with him since? He's fantastic. I mean, to see him at his age coming back, uh, being this hungry is really fantastic. I personally get a bit disappointed that everyone was is asking him about his age and, uh, you know, if he's quick enough now that he's close to 40. But I always, uh, you know, I always got those type of jokes that young drivers made about myself. So when Fernando now is 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 obviously not happy when people uh, ask him about his age, I always say, well, but you did the same with me. You know, you always took the piece about my age. So it's part of the game. You know, when you see a weak, a potential weakness on a competitor, you always try to pull the string. The important thing really is how hungry you are inside and how confident you feel inside. Have you lost the speed? Have you not? And uh, it is a bit unfair to say that he's been retired from Formula One for two years. I mean, he's been racing at full level, you know, in the WEC or in Rally Dakar. He's always been karting. He's always been in contact with motor racing. So it's not like he's been out of the sport. I don't think Fernando Alonso is going to need any help from anyone. I think he's a formidable competitor. And I think his performance on his comeback after quite a long time away was, uh, was very impressive. And I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing how he does as the car and the, and the season progresses. Pedro, what distractions does Fernando have in his life? You say he's hungry. I mean, is his focus on Formula One the same now as it was back in 2003 when he won his first race, for example? Yes, absolutely. I mean, that's his strength, really. Fernando thinks about motor racing 24 hours a day. It's like a, I mean, it's like kind of everyone says the same about the champion or, a, you know, a racer. I mean, but actually with Fernando, when you say it, you mean it. I've been with him and uh, when he's not racing in Formula One or in WEC, he's thinking about we should do an, a karting race together again, you know? So he's always thinking, what can I race this weekend, this next weekend? And this is quite unique. I, you know, I've been with many drivers. I've been myself. The, the weekend I had off, I want to do other things. I wanted to be at home. I wanted to see my kids. I wanted to be on the bike. And, uh, but he's like, no, no, we, you know, it's not, it's not his work. It's his passion. It's a, he's a passionate man. And I think that's his biggest strength is that he, he doesn't have any other uh, distraction really in his life. He's just a, a committed man, 100%. So, Pedro, you got, we got quite, well, you've got an embarrassment of riches now in, in Spain. You've got Carlos Sainz as well. And, uh, you know, he's showing that he's got that quality, hasn't he? Uh, how would you compare him to Fernando or even Charles Leclerc? How's he going to get on in Ferrari? I think he will do very well at Ferrari. I mean, he has the right approach. 
the right, uh, the calmness, the, he works hard at his speed, at his, uh, you know, approach. He's a, he's a hard worker and he's a typical, he has a very different style to Fernando. Fernando is just the typical guy that jumps into the car and he doesn't, Fernando has the philosophy of, I have to bring back the keys, not the car, you know? I mean, that's, I get everything out of the car immediately on the first lap. I, Carlos has a more understanding and a more rational approach. So he likes to understand the car, what he's driving and slowly build up the speed or slowly. I mean, let's be, I mean, slowly to, to the extent of a Formula One driver that you just bang it on. But he's a, a more rational approach, a more, a more rational driver. So they are very, a bit different. This doesn't mean that one is better than the other. They're just different. But I think that for what Ferrari needs, he has the right approach at this moment with Mattia Binotto and uh, with Charles next to him. So he, he will do well. He's a bit underestimated, Carlos, because of his name, his surname. It, it helped him. It always helps you to arrive to Formula One. But then once you're in Formula One, if you have a big surname, it's just, well, Damon. I mean, I'm pretty sure that you know it better than, than any one of us. That it is quite difficult to to know. I mean, what do you think, Damon? I think is it's it, is it going to help Carlos or not. I I have some sympathy. I think he, you know, clearly uh, King Carlos is, uh, you know, his reputation is huge, and of course, rallying is a big uh, sport in uh, in Spain as well. Um, and I, I have to say, what is it? I mean, when I came, when you were coming into into the sport, Spain was not big for Formula One, was it? Fernando made it big. Is there now a much bigger following in Spain for Formula One? Is there like a future, uh, other Spanish drivers coming up? Uh, because there must be more attention than there has been for a while. Well, that's a good question, Damon. Actually, we are very, very lucky to have uh, Fernando. We are very lucky to have Carlos in the sport. But if you look behind them, there is a big gap. So we just have to take advantage to generate uh, more newcomers, new talent, we have very good karting drivers, but actually there's a big hole. Obviously, the crisis with, you know, the economical crisis we've gone through haven't helped. So we are just very lucky to have two great drivers in two very strong teams in Formula One. But this won't last forever if we don't invest in the, the new generations. But the expectation in Spain, Damon, is brilliant. It's fantastic. I mean, there's, this first race, everyone was waiting to see Carlos and Fernando. I had the fortunate period of, uh, you know, leaving uh, 2005, 6 and 7 when uh, the explosion of Formula One happened in Spain. And I feel this passion is back again in Spain and we are stronger than ever, really. That is fantastic. And Joe, I'm going to say it again. I was disappointed about uh, his start to the race in Bahrain, Pedro. I thought he was too conservative. Been so nice to have seen him come in, be a little bit more aggressive. It was a little bit after you, Claude, I felt. Uh, from Carlos, you mean? Yeah. Well, I, th I think that, Tom, you know, in, in motor racing, you, you can have an aggressive approach, you can start uh, more conservative, whatever, but you, you never have to say what's your approach, really. So that's the only thing I, I, I thought that he, he should have never said that he, before the race, he said, I'm going to be conservative, it's the first race with Ferrari. I mean, the guys next to him are animals, you know. I mean, Fernando must have been rubbing his hands saying, okay, yeah, it's my turn. So, <laughs> you, and, and then you, you watch his start and he was not conservative, actually. And he lost uh, one position to, to Stroll because he was trying to attack Fernando. So, you just don't say what your strategy is going to be. And uh, especially and on your first race, you have to be massively aggressive anyway. So, I don't think that that message came 
across as it had to. You know, he shouldn't have said it. He was not conservative. That's my view. No, and I think, Pedro, you'd agree with me, but every any strategy you might have uh, before the start completely gets forgotten the moment you start. Yes. <laughs> the moment you see the red, the first red light, you don't know even your, what, what's your name, Damon. You, <laughs> you just go into automatic. You want to drop the clutch and uh, overtake everyone. <laughs> <laughs> now, look, Pedro, who is going to win the San Marino Grand Prix in a couple of weeks' time? I would say uh, Verstappen. But Josh Verstappen, okay? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, honestly, I, I think that the I think that the, the Red Bull will be very strong in in San Marino. There's some things about Bahrain that are really interesting. I mean, if you you look, okay, Luis drove incredibly well. He he shouldn't have won, but he did. Uh, credit to his Mercedes team as well. Uh, but the sector two, they were still very slow compared to the Red Bull. And I think that the sector two at Bahrain is more the usual, you know, medium high-speed corners of, of, of Imola. So I expect Verstappen to be very, very strong in, in all my money would go for him there. I'm not saying for the championship. I'm, I'm just saying in the short term. Fantastic. Well, let's hope we have a good race. Now, Pedro, it's wonderful to speak to you. Can you hang on five minutes and join us for one more section on the pod? Yeah, sure. I mean, I'm your correspondent. <laughs> Before we go into this section, I just want to tell Damon one thing that I never told him in all these years, and I think I should. Should we turn off the recording? No, no, this is going out. We're gonna, whatever you're about to say, Pedro, this is going out. You know, when I was at, a, at a, a Jordan as your test driver, I mean... There was once that you did an interview with a journalist. She was thinking that I, I was yourself, you know what I mean? <laughs> so after the interview, it was just a few hours later, she started asking me more questions about the interview. And I, I was thinking, I really don't know what she's talking about. And then I said, well, what, what, who do you think I am? You know, I mean, but I was wearing the cap. The, you know, I think that she, she obviously, maybe we have a kind of look alike or something. Yeah, and and then uh, she realized that it was obviously I was the wrong driver, and it was a, a massively embarrassing moment for myself. <laughs> I I never told you because you it was in the during the Japanese Grand Prix you were you know you you had a race in front and then I said I have to tell him on Monday but it never happened so I have this chance Damon and it was an, one of the most embarrassing moments in my career having to tell a journalist I was not Damon Hill. Oh. <laughs> I think against you but uh, you know I mean you were 50 years older than me as well so I mean you were doing pretty well. Well, you pr probably did a very good impression of me and uh, <laughs> but actually you look you look more like me. I could have. <laughs> I I, I have hesitated i hesitated there was a point i said should i tell her yeah. or i just say yeah 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 and i answer something you it know? could have been an interesting tactic couldn't it we could have actually got you to drive the car in the race as well <laughs> and you keep doing the interview i jump in your car okay <laughs> i'll just do the interviews <laughs> great story that is a great story. Has anyone uh, accused you of being someone you're not, Damon? It's quite confusing sometimes when people meet racing drivers, and, and I get called Nigel Mansell quite a lot. But no, uh, really, not because I look like him. It's because the first first name that comes into people's heads. Damon, the other day, the other, I was in a on a traffic light in in Barcelona, and I stopped there. And then suddenly the guy next to me uh, says, "Ah, can you lower the window?" So I lower the window, and he says, "You are Carlos Sainz." And I said, oh, he's much younger than me, man. And he said, no, the father. <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh. 
without further ado, let's get into your favorite bit of the show, ladies and gentlemen. It is Ask Damon. And thank you so much to everyone who's already sent in their questions. We've had loads. We're getting more and more each week. And so we can't possibly ask all of them. We're going to fire away with three this week. So here's number one. Hi, Damon. Richard here from Ipswich. Just wondered if you'd have a film bang about your life, who would uh, play you as the leading role? I've always thought you have a striking resemblance to Christian Bale, but you may think differently. Thanks very much. Richard, what a great question. Of course, we already have a fantastic actor in Pedro de la Rosa who can do a very passable impression of myself. And he doesn't have grey hair now, so he could, he could still equally do it. Uh, failing that, of course, uh, if we have to get for a Hollywood film star, who, who would be? Matt Damon? No, he doesn't look a bit like me. He's got the same name. Oh, I'll leave that to you. You can forward those recommendations into uh, F1 Nation and we'll, we'll consider what is the most appropriate actor to represent me in a Hollywood movie about me. <laughs> I don't know. Who would it be? I don't know. And who would play you, Pedro? I just want to say Antonio Banderas. Well, it's a good guess. I mean, I think he should do a decent job. I mean, I've always liked Arnold Schwarzenegger. <laughs> <laughs> he would struggle to fit in the race car, but uh, other than that, you know, he has also a very strong accent. Damon, didn't your old man feature in the film, was it Le Mans or Grand Prix? Uh, didn't, no, he was in Grand Prix. Yeah, he had a talking role. And he actually had a name. So he's called, I don't know, Johnny or Fred or something like that. He wasn't called Graham Hill, uh, which is ridiculous because everyone knew who he was. So he actually, he has a talking role. He came into the bar and says, anyone want a beer or something like that? And I look at it now and I just, it's cringe making, to be honest. I mean, he, obviously there's, there's a huge difference between James Garner, who was a proper actor and, uh, and a proper racing driver, who was a dreadful actor. I, I think that he, Matt Damon should take your your role no i mean it'd be. because of his name i th i think that they kind of look a bit similar oh what about that bloke you know in those spaghetti westerns the guy with got kind of like you know very kind of sort of evil looking face probably one of those but something like that <laughs> <laughs> so the next question is from jalil hello tom and of course the world champion himself mr damon hill damon my question for you today is out of all the current drivers on the 2021 F1 grid, who is the one driver that reminds you most of yourself back in your championship winning days? When it comes to, of course, driving style, aggression, or just overall mindset of being on the F1 grid. I would really love to hear your opinion. And of course, thank you for your time, guys. Cheers and have a good one. I'd like to flatter myself and say Lewis Hamilton, obviously, but I have to say that he's another category altogether. Uh, if it was another era, I would say drivers like Jensen Button, I would say, are similar to, to my style. I think he wasn't overly aggressive, incredibly smooth performances and quick um, So and a world champion. So <laughs> he would fit, but he's not on the grid. You did say people on the grid in 2021. So let's say I'm going to go for Sergio Perez. Tire whisperer. Absolutely. The man with the magic fingers and the very, very sensitive feet. Pedro, while we've got you on the line, same question to you. Jalil's going to love this. He's got two for the price of one here. Yeah, that's a really good question, actually. Never thought about that. Uh, possibly, uh, there is two. I mean, one is because obviously, the you know, Carlos uh, Sainz, because I think he's, I used to have a similar approach and he's a very thoughtful uh, guy. So I, I like his approach and he kind of reminds me of when I stepped into Formula One. 
And then the other guy, I really have some similarities. I think I have. Don't tell me, Kimi Raikkonen. It's uh, no, 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 not Kimi. I mean, uh, I like him, but I, we're just very different. I would say it's Vettel. You know, uh, he's also a very genuine guy, family man. Always likes to keep his uh, privacy. He has difficulties adapting to the car. You know, he always has to make the car adapt to his driving style more than him. A driver, you know, to the, the car, which is a bit what was my problem as well. Well, not problem, weakness. Okay, it's better like that. So anyway, I like I like them both. So you know, I like myself. That's <laughs> that, that's the sad thing about this. You know? uh, wait, <laughs> hey man, you have to get me out of this show. I mean, you know, I. I I, I'm, I'm, it's not going to be good for your for your future. <laughs> Secretly, you want to be me, though, don't you, Pedro? That's that's we found that out as well. So well, you love yourself, but you want to be you. You like being me more, maybe. I was you in that interview, you know, <laughs> and but actually, I yeah, I I have those mem those those years, uh, you know, at, at Jordan. They were very special for me. I mean, I I don't I don't think you. You were obviously at the at peak of your career. I mean, uh, but for me, that it was my first taste of Formula One. I always liked very much how you treated all the team, and especially myself when I was arriving. You know, I was a no, no one. I was, I was afraid of speaking with you, Damon. You know, I was really, and you were always very polite and always had time for me. You know, I, I really appreciate people like yourself. You know, they they are the the real of sport. You know, motorsport people, genuine like yourself. That's a very nice uh, tribute. Thank you very much, Peter. I had a good, I had a good teacher. My dad, I think he was very good. Uh, Jackie Stewart always said that uh, my dad was very good to him when he came into the team and shared the team at BRM. So, uh, yeah, his attitude was, you know, you you treat people like uh, human beings, and then not much should go wrong. No, thank you. I mean, normally when you step into a team as a test driver, uh, they they see you like, oh, this guy wants to get my seat, so uh, I better not talk with him or share any information. So, but if you'd asked, yeah, I would have given it if you asked i was trying to get out of jordan most of the time well, i was trying to get your seat you know i was trying to get your seat but obviously <laughs> and you didn't get it you didn't get it eventually you got the arrows you got the arrows though, didn't you yeah right. oh thank you very much yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> let's do the final question now hi damon uh, dan here um, i'm a huge huge fan of yours i have been ever since you started racing and right until the current day now, I've got a slightly obscure question, and it's in relation to a visor windscreen wiper. Now, I recall seeing you on telly demonstrating this little black wiper blade on your visor of your helmet, and there was talk that it could be beneficial hugely in the wet weather up to about sort of four or five seconds. Was this something genuine, or was it maybe even an April Fool's thing? Love to know. Cheers. Dan, thanks for that question. Actually, you have rung a little bell in my... I do remember something about some sort of windscreen wiper, but I have to say that probably was an April Fool. The whole idea of being able to clear your visor and being able to see where you're going is enormously appealing. So I think you could probably imagine to racing drivers because quite a lot of the time in the, when it's raining, you cannot see a damn thing. My dad used to use this old whirly thing that they have on go-karts, they used to have on go-karts, which kind of spun round with the wind in front of your face and the idea was that the water droplets would get spun off there's actually a picture of him uh, hitting an earth bank at snetterton with one on so it was him that spun off and not not the uh, not the water but um uh, they could catch the wind as well so i think going at the speeds we 
travel at or they travel at in Formula One these days, I don't think it'd be allowed to have something rotating in front of your face like that. Um, uh, the windscreen wiper one, if only there was a way of keeping the blooming rain off your visor, I'm not sure how well advanced they are these days. One of the other problems is the fogging on the inside, but uh, they probably fix that now. Pedro, Pedro is up to speed with uh, Formula One these days, visor technology. You can, you can tell us what's going on. Well, I, I think, Damon, that it must have been an April Fool's uh, of yourself because actually, I mean, at that type, type, of, type of speed, it's impossible to have a wiper or a, a spinning, you know, the uh, what you were talking about, your dad. I mean, that, that would be extremely dangerous at, that, that, you know, at 330 kPa end of straight i mean it would just actually turn your head uh, around and uh, make it spin together with the fan so uh, yeah no uh, the only the only trick really is uh, is just to is just to clean your visor with some product so that the the water just peels off or just uh, just goes away the reality is that racing drivers we see very little when it's raining so it doesn't really matter if we have a wiper or not we just drive on instinct and uh, you know, change of colors, the grass together with the asphalt, that uh, you know, black and the green, uh, some uh, bridges, well, just to remind you where you are and where are the breaking points. Anyway, that's how I used to do it. Pedro, April Fool or not, you and I are both going to jump on YouTube any minute now and we're going to Google, or sorry, we're going to look up Damon Hill yes. visor wiper just to see if we can find it. And, and after that, we will take the piece out of him all our, the rest of our lives. Nothing changes. <laughs> <laughs> so if you would like to send me a question and take part, then all you have to do is send a voicemail message. That's a voicemail, not a text message, to askdamonhill at gmail.com. And we will have a listen. And you'll probably get your uh, opportunity to ask me a question. And then I will be massively embarrassed and put on the spot and have to answer these uh, very awkward and difficult questions that I'm getting. Uh, keep them coming. And thank you to Pedro for your time. Wonderful to catch up. Thanks for the insight as ever. You're very welcome. See you when, we get, when we're allowed out. We'll see you at the track sometime. Thank you for your time, guys. But before we go, DH, any other business? That's a, a regular feature of the pod as well. What's on your mind? Well, we've been scouring the uh, journals around the place and uh, looking for exciting news. And one of the things that has popped up is they've changed the Albert Park track. So the race, obviously, that was supposed to be the opener of the season, but it's now been moved to November, I think. That uh, has been changed. The track has been changed the first time because I won the first Grand Prix there, uh, Tom. Did you know that? Funny, so, yes. Uh, the first, and anyway, I went there last year because they had the 25th, the, what they were going to call the 25th anniversary of their Grand Prix. So for 25 years, it's been exactly the same track. And now they decided to change it. And I'm a little bit cut up about this. And I'll tell you why, Tom, because I met Mr. Uh, Westercott, who was uh, one, the, the guy who's organising the, the event in uh, the Australian Grand Prix. And I met him in Japan. And we were talking about what they're going to do to the track to make it better. And they've done completely the opposite of what I suggested. <laughs> so, um, so quite frankly, they, they listened to what I had to say and just completely blanked me. And they've changed. <laughs> so they've changed. That's how, that's how important I am. Okay, so what they've done is speed up the back section of the circuit, haven't they? What was a very slow chicane is now just a fast sweeper. What did you propose? Well, I, I said they needed more big stops, you know, they need, but they've moved the big stop, to be honest. They've, they've opened it up now, made it very fast going onto the back, what I would call the back straight, into the very fast left-right uh, chicane. 
But then there's a tighter corner after that at the end. So that will hopefully be the the big stop where you get an overtaking overtaking opportunity. Very important to have more overtaking opportunities in F1, as I'm sure you'll agree. I do, I do agree with that. And also that fast chicane you talk about is going to be mental because the approach speed now is going to be... I mean, I don't know what the number is, but it's going to be huge, isn't yeah. it? Yeah, they've got lots of runoff there, which is good. They're going to need it. Were you a fan of Albert Park as a racetrack? Because I believe you won the first race there, Damon. Yes, did I mention that? So I won the first race and, and I loved the track. I mean, I think it's it's a little bit of a go-kart track. It's, you know, it's quite slippery. Um, the corners aren't that challenging from the point of view of the, the load on the car. There's not much G-load, but it's tricky. You know, very tricky, bumpy. They've resurfaced it, so it may have got rid of some of the bumps. But um, they're cracking on down there and uh, we'll we'll be excited to get back and and see how the race shapes up on their new layout. Yeah, and it's a cracking Grand Prix. Andrew Westercott, you may have ignored Damon Hill's advice, but you run a brilliant Grand Prix all the same. All right, well, folks, that is all we have time for on F1 Nation this week. Thank you very much for listening. It's great to have you with us on this journey. You're part of F1 Nation as much as we are. F1 Nation is produced by Formula One in association with Audio Boom. And if you want to follow us, don't forget to press your follow button on your favourite podcast app. See you next week. Cheerio, see you next week. Except you won't. No, I won't. Oh, bugger. <laughs>